Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, it is December 26th of 2013, and tonight our guest is Alita Edwards Saidi. She will be talking about her book, Fear of the Abyss. It's about healing control and shame and perfectionism. Before we start the show, I'm going to do a little blurb for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free of charge lay-led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. Our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon. For more information, go to hamsnetwork.org slash book. Our guest, Alita Edwards, is with us right now. How are you doing this evening, Alita? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Well, thank you for being on the show. Tell us a little bit about your book. Um, What kind of things do you discuss in this book? Well, what I discuss in this book... Uh, it's mainly about a certain personality type, and I call it the PCS personality, because for people that have issues of perfectionism, control issues, and who feel a lot of shame. There are also other issues that go with this, such as black and white thinking, a fear of disappointing others, and difficulty making decisions, low self-esteem, and in relationships, needing to be needed but being afraid to need somebody else. So in this book, what I do is explain that these different issues are not separate problems. They're all symptoms of an emotional wound that occurred earlier. And by addressing that emotional wound, that these symptoms don't need to exist anymore. So do you take a psychodynamic approach? Yes, I do. And for people people not in the field, I would say insight-oriented or maybe holistic, meaning that uh, with psychodynamic, we don't just treat the symptom. And one example of this quickly, if I can, would be if somebody washes their hands 50 times a day, um, the goal would not be to reduce the number of times necessarily to 25. The goal would be to address the pain that makes them feel they need to do that. That's psychodynamic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we found a lot uh, in the field of addictions that uh, a harm reduction psychotherapy approach is very helpful. This has been kind of pioneered by Andrew Tatarski and Pat Denning. And what they have done is to work both on the problematic habit, the addiction, at the same time that they work on underlying issues, and they found this far more effective than working on either just alone. Well, that really makes sense to me with addictions because the behavior certainly needs to be addressed, but so does that whole person. So what you're saying, yeah. So because as a matter of fact, in my practice, I've practiced for like over 20 years at 20, you know, you don't count so precisely, but they have, I've seen a lot of people who had been addicted to drugs or alcohol, had been off for many years and came into therapy because they really wanted their issues addressed. And they wanted that mm-hmm. very badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've also seen people that uh, get only their issues addressed and don't address the addiction, and the addiction just remains. So, um, well, that was one reason that I was interested in your book, because our book, uh, we do a lot to address the habit. And we definitely encourage people to find additional help because we realize there are underlying issues 
it's beyond the scope of our organization to treat them. So we encourage people to find good resources that can treat underlying issues that drive addictions because you're going to be a lot happier if you get both taken care of than if you just get one taken care of. Oh, absolutely. I've had people come in who were using, and I've said to them, I'm not an addictions counselor, I'm a psychologist. I I said, I can treat that whole person that is you, but you're going to need to get help with the behavior bothering you elsewhere. And they've said, oh, I already am, but I want to do this too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's... It really it worked very, very well. Now, is your book, can people use your book as a self-help book? Absolutely, they can. Uh, the reader response, um, the reviews on Amazon, and also a lot of people have written me personal emails, which I love. And they have used it as a self-help book alone, and they said they really have gotten results because at the end of each chapter, I have exercises that very gently and gradually build people up, up to look more deeply within themselves. And a lot of people have been able to do that. Can you give us some examples of uh, some of these exercises? Sure. Um, Now let me... Okay. Now all the exercises, remember, are designed to taking people deeper. So at the very beginning, um, what the exercises do is build up a tolerance for being able to think of certain things that are difficult and maybe produce shame. But they're very, very gentle. So one exercise would be uh, and is think of somebody that you would feel compassion for but you would feel very embarrassed if this had happened to you. Can you picture the situation with yourself and give yourself that compassion as well? Okay, that would be an example of a beginning exercise. Okay, um, there are exercises at the beginning that also say try to look at the dynamic of the different issue. So, for example, um, the issue might be, and I give examples, the issue might be I like to control everything and have everything be predictable. And the underlying feeling would be I'm afraid of the unknown. The behavior would be I overplan, say, vacations, and people get aggravated with me. Okay, mm-hmm. that would be that. The beginning is to just look at the issues and the consequences, but to really look at what that feeling, what that feeling is. And I think, okay, now here's here's another one. Okay, pretend that you have a lot of money and everyone goes out of their way to treat you well and ask your opinion because of this. Imagine that they don't really understand you or care but are going by superficial circumstances. Now imagine that you're the same person who's lost everything and you've become ignored and invisible to old friends. Focus on your feelings and recognize that you're the same exact person. Now do the same with your formal education, what you're from, what what you look like, and anything else that occurs to you. Keep recognizing what is the same about you. Try to get in touch with your essence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the beginning exercises try to, they really invite people 
to step away from some of the, what would you call it, some of the trimmings and move towards the more authentic person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, another one is a dignity exercise, and it's to say, think of a sick or wounded person you've known and see the person and remember the compassion you felt and know, or if it's a sick person, know that whatever state the body is in, the person's essence is intact. Now think of yourself and your body and your essence and keep seeing yourself in your mind with dignity, with your dignity, with compassion, love, and respect, the same as you would do for someone else. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's Mm -hmm. an exercise that you can tell. Now that's getting in touch with your essence. So these are like the next level of exercise. And there are several that one I just said is kind of hard. There were several exercises that came before that. Um, okay. Uh, then one that's more advanced still was think of an argument you had with someone close to you in which you were at least partially wrong. Imagine apologizing with a full heart and humility, acknowledging to the other person that you know you were wrong and you're very sorry. And this is all imaginary. And how does this feel? So as this goes on, um, each chapter is what I call a spoke of the wheel. The hub is the wounded core. But all of these things, the perfectionism with anxiety attached, the wanting to control things, the black and white thinking, these are all considered spokes of the wheel that relate back to the same thing. So each chapter deals with a different spoke and relates it back. These, so a lot of times people come in and they say, oh, I've got all these problems, and they're listing out these spokes of the wheel, and I'll say, no, you don't really have all these problems. You've got one. You've just got one. And the reason these spokes or these symptoms develop is to be self-protective because there was a time when the person really did have no control. Mm-hmm. So these exercises, again, they start out um, very, very easy and gently, and people are, they are doing them. When it gets to relationships, they talk, I, I talk about how they want to be needed and have they been able to appreciate and have gratitude towards the partner. And a lot of people have written to me and said they cried at that part, that that was very hard for them, that they thought being needed was the only possibility to have someone with them, that it never occurred to them that the other person would also like to be needed because these are... The people I wrote this book for have been let down a lot by people and they're afraid... Now, one of the things that interested me about this book was uh, when you were talking about control and perfectionism and shame and black and white thinking, and I've seen so much of that in the traditional addiction treatment programs and the 12-step programs. Have you encountered that, too, from people you worked with? Have Have they felt that way? I have encountered that so much and um and i do i do try to address it but i've encountered it a great deal the shame is just incredible and i i understand that people respond to different things that everybody you know has a different way that will help them but as a psychologist I really don't like seeing that degree of shame and self-hatred that people come in with. 
be like, well, I haven't had a drink for 15 years, but I, but I used to when I was a horrible person. And none of these were horrible people. None of these were malicious people. They were all very sweet people who had been hurt, truthfully. And the, mm-hmm. the judging and the self-judging was, was really awful. And sometimes someone will recommend a book to people and they'll tell me, and they'll say, no, I already have my philosophy. I don't need to read a book about that. I have mine. And I, I always say, why are you afraid to learn something new? You're an intelligent person. Why are you so threatened to learn something new? My philosophy grows every day of my life. And I think I think some of them, some of my patients, they they've told me that the treatment saved their lives, that they had been at a danger point, and that's certainly a good thing. But I've discussed with some of them lately how even in the course of of their lives being saved, I felt they were traumatized mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and hurt, and that there had to come a point where you just didn't think of yourself as, okay, I was bad, and now I'm good, that, that we all have degrees. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. One of the things that traditional treatment has to work very hard to do is to convince people that they, they are addicted, that they're going to die, and that they are powerless, and they can do nothing on their own, and they have to have some outside force to rescue them, which is just, uh, it's the exact opposite of what the research studies tell us, because the research studies tell us that the vast majority of people with addictions overcome them on their own without treatment, without AA, without 12-step support groups. Um, you know, it's about five times more people overcome an addiction on their own than do with the group. But then the people get kind of this beaten into their head that we saved your life, we, the treatment saved your life, and you were going to die without us. Yeah, so you're saying some of these, it might not have really been accurate. That might well, not yeah, have been the it, case. Mm-hmm. The studies we've seen really don't show the people who get treatment do any better than the people that don't get any treatment at all. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I know where I know I'm running a little far afield, but you know, I just you, know, you kind of get brainwashed. Uh, you know, I've been through this. They tried to brainwash me. Thing. You're going to die unless you uh, go to our AA meetings for the rest of your life. And uh, I had to leave because being told I was powerless over alcohol, that just made me drink more because how could I stop if I'm powerless, you know? Yeah, I, I, I really do think there are a lot of people that would say the same thing. You know, I wouldn't like to think of myself as powerless, and I don't think of myself as powerless. You know, and it, it's hard to see that part as positive. It's, it is very hard. Um, I guess psychologically speaking, I really like to see people with more integration of their feelings who are not so afraid of them mm-hmm. and who have more confidence. And... I think sometimes, you know, sometimes it does sound sound rough to me. Um, again, I mean, I, I've seen people where they say this has helped them a lot. So, I, you know, God bless them. You, you want whatever works for somebody. But it reminds me, I mean, years ago I took a CPR course and they were saying if you ever had to do CPR on an infant, it, you would break its bones and you would do it to save its life. And I thought, I I started talking to a few of my clients about this and saying, you know, I don't want to interfere with what you're doing, but I feel like a few bones were broken, psychologically speaking. And that now that you don't, you know, you're in a safety place, that I think it's time to really look at some of this. 
And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's okay to read books that you want to read. It's okay to learn. It's okay to think in the gray area. This doesn't mean that, that you're like a monster, and if you don't keep the lid on, that monster comes out. What disturbs me, and again, I don't know if this is just who's been coming to me all these years or if these are the types that seek help, but, you know, my book is called Fear of the Abyss. You can clearly see that's their abyss that that's what they're afraid mm-hmm. of. It's like I, there, there's this awful person inside who has no control or power whatsoever. And I would say some people even feel they don't even have like good ethics. And it's just not true. I know them. It's not true. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so much uh, built into the AA program. I don't know if you've ever read their big book, but it is so much about... You, you are an alcoholic because of your character defects, and you have to ask God to remove your character defects. And, you know, I remember when I was going through this stuff, and, you know, they, they were saying, you know, all alcoholics are pathological liars, and you have to admit that you're a pathological liar. And, you know, I was just like one of the guys in your book that told everybody the truth. It was totally tactless. It was really, you know, really inept in their social interactions because they always told the absolute truth, even when it was, you know, not the right thing to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so that's totally like, why well, are you saying that I'm a liar? That's not what got me in trouble, telling the truth. Uh, you know, eventually I got older. I learned to be a little more tactful. Sometimes you can actually shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, that that is true. And again, I, I wish, you know, part of black and white thinking is just being judgmental. It's being judgmental of others and being judgmental of oneself. And I, I would like to really see us, well, get away from that. I, I think that there are so many horrible consequences to black and white thinking and I, I just feel like, you know, and one thing I have to do because I'm not a black and white thinker is whatever people come in with, as soon as they say it, I say that is not true for everybody. Mm-hmm. That may have been good for you, but that's not for everybody because people are different from each other. Mm-hmm. And we really yeah, that- need to respect it. Yeah, that's what bothered me so much in 12-step programs is that well, it's one of the first things you hear when you walk into one of those AA meetings. We're all alike. We're all alike. We're all alike. And, you know, our own HAMS program, the harm reduction program, what we say, we're all different. We're all different. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you know, psychologically, that that certainly does hit you better. Because mm-hmm. right off the bat, you're respecting the individuality of people. You know, again, I mean, I, I can't argue with people who have been helped. I feel like if, if that worked for them, I'm, I'm glad something did work for them. But I, I see people as all different. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't really, I don't so much see character defects any more than with any of us. We all have defects and flaws and that's what we do, I believe, in life is we go through it and we try to become wiser and better than what we were. It's a very long... We're all works in progress, right? And I I think... Um, I don't see people as all alike at, at all mm-hmm. and I, I don't encourage it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have arguments with uh, individuals who cho- who choose to uh, participate in 12-step programs because I have a lot of friends because uh, I've worked in other harm addiction programs like Needle Exchange. I work side-by-side side with NA members who are giving out clean needles. Um, but, you know, when they're, when they're doing the Needle Exchange, they're not talking about being an NA member. They're talking about, okay, here's what you need to do to stay alive. So, yeah, I do have a lot of friends in 12-step programs, and I don't argue with them. Uh, I have much more of an issue with 
uh, our society or therapists or judges or all these people who say, well, there's only one answer if you have an addiction. You have to go to a 12-step program. And no. Yeah, I, you know, as a therapist, I, that's hard. For, it's hard for me to understand that because I, I certainly don't feel that way. I don't feel mm-hmm. that way. And, uh, you know, in fact, I had someone come in and say, you know, I really, I really don't like AA. Hey, you know, it just didn't feel right. And, and you know, he was uncomfortable and, and wanted to do something else. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and to me that, I'm sorry. No, keep going. You know, it, to me that makes sense because there are going to be people who who happen not to feel that way and uh, they, who don't really need that degree of structure to do well. Yeah, I was going to say, um, well, the research shows that the majority of people that overcome addictions do it on their own without a treatment or without a 12-step group. So if someone comes to a therapist and says, well, I'm going to do this on my own, maybe with a self-help book or information or whatever, but, you know, I, I'm not going to go to a treatment, you know, they should be encouraged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should be. I mean, they should be encouraged to do what works for them. Mm-hmm. And people know what works for them. You know, I think deep down they do know the truth. I don't think it's coincidence that I've seen a lot of people, um, and people know, you know, either through other people or through my website, they know I'm psychodynamic, and they're still coming. And when, I'll say, when I say, now, I, I don't have ways to get you to stop or reduce this, you know, I, I would just help you. I see a human in front of me. That's what I know how to do. And I know that's what I want. I'm doing something else. So people seem to really want that component. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, oh, I they agree, really absolutely. Do. And it's, um, you know, I, I've seen people that, that just maybe they do feel at one point they need a lot of that structure, but I, I feel like, uh, to me, it's not a happy thing when an adult comes in and says, you know, uh, they've not used for so very many years, and then they say, you know, I lie and I manipulate and I'm a terrible person and all this. Uh, you know, and I'll say to them, that's not my experience of you at mm-hmm, all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's like, no, but, you- but this... This is what I am, you know. So I, I don't, I, I don't like the one size fits all. Yeah, and then there's so many uh, people that you know, they have ten years, fifteen years sobriety, and they're always saying, "I'm only one drink away from you know, going back." And then they they have that slip, and they are devastated, and they say, "Well, I've lost ten years. I'm back to day one," and you know, I don't yeah. think that's realistic either. That that is real black and white thinking. It it really and truly is. And you know, it, you remember that chapter on it. It's it, good things don't come from black and white thinking. They they really don't. They really really don't. You know, if you try to eat healthy, which I do, um, and sometimes it's really a drag. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. And a few times a year, you know, I do get the Cheetos and the the chips. And like, oh, that was great. Okay, now I can go a long time. You know, this doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't negate all of the healthy things you do. You might have had, you know, an hour that was not your healthiest, but it doesn't negate all the good. It's what you do for the most part. And I think 
this thing about I've lost 10 years, they've all been destroyed, I've not done anything good for my health, that's just not true. Yeah, when Dr. Alan Marlatt developed his relapse prevention program, that's way back in the 80s now, um, but what he's taught people was if you have a slip, if you're trying to abstain and you have a slip up, the best thing to do is forgive yourself, get right back on the path of abstaining, and don't beat yourself up and tell yourself that you're a horrible person because if you feel really miserable, you'll go on a big bender and really have a huge drunk, and you can just put this behind you and get right back on your path. And he found that teaching people this reduced the severity of the slips so much Well, you know, psychologically, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. It really does, because it, it doesn't make you a horrible person, and it doesn't negate anything. Yeah, so and if you, you want to average yeah. it in with, with the, all the sobriety, um, it doesn't come out very big at all. Yeah, it was really interesting when he compared the two groups, the one that got this uh, relapse prevention uh, treatment and the, the one that uh, just got the regular treatment. The, the difference he found was in the severity of the relapses. The ones that got told, forgive yourself and get right back into, you know, your program, into your goal, they had, there was very little uh, their relapses were not severe, is what I want to say. The group that got that went on thinking, oh, this is horrible, had severe relapses. Uh, the frequency and number of relapses did not differ. Eventually, both groups got to, well, many people got to stable abstinence from both groups, the same amount of people. But the amount of damage to one group was so much smaller than to the other group. Well, I, I believe that. I, that makes perfect sense because the black and white thinking got addressed. And, you know, again, a lot of people think that one little transgression, quote-unquote, ruins everything, and, and that's absurd. I have seen a lot of young adults, and I've seen people in grad a lot of grad students and you know I would say when you're sick of school at a time when it's safe if you have a day or two without reading anything go ahead and do it and then get back to it that third day you're going to it's going to be a little heavier but do it take your little take your little break find a way to give yourself a little break that's not devastating where you don't fail an exam, you don't get kicked out, you just take a little break at a safe, at a safe time and enjoy it. It doesn't have mm -hmm, to be mm -hmm. devastating. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, that, you know, again, that's very, that's very effective because what you're saying is you're going to get sick of being in school all those years and you're going to need some little transgression. So I'm telling you, think in advance of a harmless way to give yourself a break and get right back. And I have to say it worked. Oh, absolutely. It, 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 it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, really, it really does. It really does. I mean, I, I think ultimately we all really have to think for ourselves. And I think in any system I, that we all have a responsibility to ourselves and we could say to others too to really evaluate everything in that system and say, okay, you know, I believe that A, B, C, and D are, are true, but I, I don't really like E. I don't accept that. I think it's good to question and to think for yourself. And, and that gives you the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is so different from what you find in 12-step programs. Uh, one of their favorite sayings is, 
your best thinking got you here. It's a total, well, it's a total attack on, on thinking, really. Um, it's, a, it's a program that's about obedience. I mean, for me, with being this uh, intellectual type, it was really an awful place to be. Because she couldn't ask questions. She couldn't think about anything. It was you have to accept this because, I mean, God told Bill Wilson the 12 steps, and so there's no question there. So what? you just have to do it. I, you know, I I like the idea of questioning more. I mean, again, I I I know there are people. I I only know what they tell me, where they've needed a huge amount of structure. They just didn't feel they could do it. But I also know that I see people paying a price for the black and white thinking. And I've seen people who don't want that much structure. I mean, it, it's kind of a, it's it's a hard thing, I suppose, helping people with anything. But they have different needs. But ultimately, the more structure you give to someone, the less they're really learning to put out there for themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's another thing when people in retrospect, looking back, say, I needed that structure, did they really need it, or did they convince themselves after they got it that it was something they needed? You know, we are so good, our brains are so good at convincing ourselves of certain things that are totally not true. That It's, it's not that they're not sincere, but it, they might not be accurate. It might not. It might not. I, I know there are people that would be afraid to deviate. They just stay away from that. And it, again, I mean, that's not only with programs. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of different groups that, that really are like that. Um, and people people are afraid. Um, when I, When I come into the equation... You know, I just say, well, I'm not entering in with the alcohol, but we enter into everything else. And I do encourage them to think for themselves and to stop judging. <laughs> well, you know, and, I, grew you know up in, I grew up in a fundamentalist church. It was creationist. And you had to believe that God created the earth in seven days and there's no evolution or you would go to hell. So, you know, I was uh, totally came up with this whole black and white, except everything that we tell you, totally structured thing. Yeah, I rebelled from that. I became an atheist by the time I was 13. So clearly I was not going to do well when I had the same thing pushed on me again years later. No, I mean, it's interesting that you have the strength to do that. You know, because I have people struggling with not believing what the rest of their their cultural group believes and really expanding, and that's a very hard thing to do. Well, it is. Fortunately, I was pretty young at the time, so you're, you're also more resilient when you're young. In a way, it's actually a good thing. Hmm. Yeah, well, maybe it, maybe it was. Maybe it was a good thing. And, you know, when you discovered thinking for yourself was a good thing, you carried it through in a way to help others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, for people with addictions now, there are so many other options out there. You never hear about them on television, and I don't know why. In television, it's always AA 12-step. But, you know, there's Smart Recovery. There's Women for Sobriety. There's Life Ring. There's Secular Organizations for Sobriety. There's our own HAMS group. Um, there's Medication-Assisted Recovery. There's Sinclair Method, uh, Harm Reduction Psychotherapy. There's all moderation management. There's all these other approaches. You know, people don't have to say, well, there's only one. And in fact, the ones that are based more in science with either cognitive behavioral approaches or, you know, harm reduction approaches, um, 
And a lot of our harm reduction psychotherapists are actually psychodynamic, so like, but you know, they've got more evidence base. Because um, the 12-step, they had a recent review, the Cochrane Review was published, and it said there's no evidence that it's better than nothing. Well, I, yeah, I don't know why other groups aren't more publicized. I, I've heard of these others, you know, to a lesser extent, because, again, I, to say that there's one answer for everyone, I, I think it is just ridiculous. I mean, I, I, it's, it's hard to dignify it, truthfully one answer for everyone. That's absolutely wrong. And I, I think, you know, I think culturally, we, the culture encourages this too. It's like, my way of thinking is better than yours, and that means that mine is right, and yours is completely wrong. And I, yeah, I can't imagine to saying someone, you know, I'm not going to work with you if you don't go to a 12-step program. Um, I can imagine saying, what kind of help would you like? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we try to take that attitude, too, in hams. And although you know, I don't personally care too much for 12 steps after this interview, um, yeah. but if that's what somebody mm-hmm. wants to do, that's what you want to do. It's not my job to argue with you. It's your job to make up your mind. If you say, um, I decided I want to go back to AA, we will say, well, good luck to you. Where we? we want you to do well. Whatever you choose for yourself is the right decision for you. You know, I, I think our choices of treatment, again, I, I not just with drinking, but for anything, I think our choices of treatment do reflect where we are at a given point in time and and what we feel we need and what our expectations are. You know, it, it's funny, but um, somebody had written to me, uh, you know, an email just off of my website and said, I, you know, that she had been to four other therapists and they were all very judgmental. And I suspect, and that's not to say therapists can't be judgmental. I'm, of course they can. But mm-hmm. four of them, and I, I, I started to wonder if maybe it was too blunt, but if these four therapists were saying things like, you're responsible for your behavior, whereas this was a person who felt at the time that she needed to be more passive and kind of receive. Unfortunately, in the adult, it doesn't work that way. We we can't really make up that stage to people. It, if you miss it when it's supposed to occur, you just have to adapt to that, and it's a it's a very sad thing. But it's uh, as adults, we we do have to be responsible for our behavior. There's nobody else who's going to step up and take that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now that's a good question you just uh, raised there, um, and you talk about people being passive. They want the uh, therapist to fix them and not to have to do any work. Well, in a way, I see that's the appeal of the 12-step program, too, because they have everything laid out, so you do not have to make any choices, although you actually do have to work a hell of a lot if you're in a 12-step program. People kind of don't get that. But do you think that mm-hmm. you, know, you can... Do you think you can do therapy that way, that the therapist can fix the person, or does the person always have to make the effort to fix themselves? No. I always say that I'm a facilitator, that I will understand them, and I'll care about them, and I'll help them figure out what's right for them, but that this is a team team effort, that I don't fix anyone, they fix themselves, and I'll facilitate, and I'll walk the path with them, I'll hold their hand, but 
they'll be walking the walk. Sure. <laughs> no, you, you can't just be passive. And it's interesting you bring that up because certainly I've had people say, you know, can you just take this anxiety and just like rip it out? And I can see where the anxiety is coming from and they're kind of fighting against seeing it because they're scared. I understand and respect that. But no, you can't just rip it out. You can't just rip it out. And ironically, the best way to get rid of it is to accept it and look at it and have some respect for it and really understand it. And then you don't need it. It's just, but there are people who would like to do nothing. There, there was one gentleman. I've only um, been worked in Tampa for about a year and a half. I'm from Chicago, but uh, somebody here in Tampa who sat down and spread his arms and said, "Okay, can you fix me?" And I explained what therapy was like, and then he said, "Well, I just want you to fix me." And I, I said. Boy, if I had the power to just do that, I I don't think I would. It would seem immoral somehow. It's your process. (laughs) But I can't just wave a wand and fix someone. But certainly there are people who, who want that and who are disappointed that that's not the way it works. Yeah, I think that's something that makes uh, medication very popular is people think that they can just take the pill and it will fix everything. I know. I know. And I, I'm not so crazy about that. You know, when I don't like people to suffer. When someone's very depressed or very anxious, I think there are things that can take an edge off. But I always tell them that there's no pill to address the issues. Well, I think the research is... I think the research is starting more and more to show, uh, and it's been kind of clear all along, but uh, you know, for people with major depressive disorder, medication might be really important. But when you try to take people with just normal, uh, they're normal people, they have normal sadness, and you give them, de- give them antidepressants or something, it's not more effective than a placebo. Well... They've also found that that psychotherapy will help just as well. There are those studies oh. too, you know, where they, mm-hmm. they compare them and the psychotherapy does well. You know, the problem with some of the studies is they'll use a questionnaire and people will rate how depressed they are. But I feel like... Um, I feel like some of that research doesn't let the richness show through um, of people who have said, gee, I'm glad I got depressed because what I learned about myself really made me better than I was before the depression. I, I wish they could show the depth because I think we'd see even more that therapy and addressing the issues really helps. Because that's our humanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I just wind up saying, you know, to people, you know, you have to evaluate for yourself whether the medication is really helpful. Because some people do really find it helpful, especially people with the more major disorders. But mm-hmm. uh, some people who don't have major disorders, they find that it's actually harmful. It's all side effects, no good effects. And you know, I have to say to people, if the medication's doing you more harm than good, you probably need to get off the medication. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you. I, I really think people are getting over-medicated. I really do. You know, I think when people are in just such a terrible, painful state, it can take the edge off where it's mild um, and they're working on issues, I don't think they need it. And again, I mean, even with antidepressants, the issue will still remain. If you feel unworthy and you have, like, say those issues 
of shame and perfectionism and you're never good enough. Yes, you know, a medication can take the edge off, but you're still going to feel those feelings. Mm -hmm. You're still going to have them. They're not just going to go away and be replaced by, like, say, a different childhood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, one of, no things, one of the interesting things in my field now is that there's a couple of research studies out there that, that show that uh, antidepressants will lead certain populations to drink more, and that's particularly true for women and for people with uh, early-onset alcohol problems. Um, oh, great, huh? Yeah, oh. but, uh, you know, you go to the, people go to the doctor and say, I'm drinking too much, and the doctor says, you must be depressed, have antidepressants. It's like... Yeah, I, I know. That, that, is, that is funny. I think in our culture, we really want very quick fixes. And I, I can see by a lot of what's around and, and how superficial it is. I think this is a lot of what people want. And I, I, I don't like this to be true, and I, I hate to say it, and it, it hurts. But I think, I think we do like quick, unthinking fixes. You know, if, if you look on Facebook, there are so many quotes that say, you know, bring the pain from yesterday into your tomorrows. Well, it's not that easy. Our yesterdays are in our todays and tomorrows. Um, it's like if you could just read a little saying and be all better, wouldn't that be wonderful? But it's it's just <laughs> not true. It's really mm-hmm. not true. And I think medication, I guess truth be known, I I think in our culture you'd be hard put if there were like a pill everybody could take to just be happy. I think everyone would rush out there for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's kind of sad, really. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to end up the show, so uh, uh, what would you like to leave us with? And be sure to tell us where to find you on the web and what your book is. Okay, um, my website is alitaedwards.com. And I would say that people drinking issues, I wish they wouldn't be judgmental. Um, They're just people. And I think everybody has some kind of addiction, whether it's recognized as an addiction or not. And if there are people who recognize themselves as having issues of perfectionism and shame and black and white thinking and wanting to be in control, they might want to check out my book, Fear of the Abyss. And there's a big sample of it on my website, alitaedwards.com there's a sample of the book and you can order it and so forth or you can read my blogs or write to me I love hearing from people and um, you know again for people who are listening who do have those issues I invite them to stop by the website okay thank you very much for being our guest this evening Alita Okay, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay, everyone. We'll see you all next week. So, everyone, thank you and good night.